Before I introduce the next speaker, Michelle Easton asked me to share just a few words about how I became involved with CBL. Well, let me begin by saying that I am thrilled to have the first Midwest Women's Summit here in my home state of Minnesota. This is just so exciting. Thank you. Several years ago, my husband and I were, became acquainted with Young America's Foundation and the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute. We met Ron and Michelle, and we toured the Reagan Ranch. That was just a, a real privilege. And after seeing a conference in action at the ranch and seeing how these students were encouraged and how they were um, upheld and trained in the conservative values that we hold dear, we became convinced that this was an institution and organization that we really wanted to support. The Claire, Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute brings the light of truth and hope to the darkness that is so prevalent on many college campuses today. And my hope is that all of you will help spread the word about this great organization, lend your support, and encourage more young women to be involved. Well, now I have the privilege of introducing our next speaker, Katie Kiefer. She is an entrepreneur, she's an author, a political commentator, and the, her new book is entitled, Let Me Be Clear, Barack Obama's War on Millennials and One Woman's Case for Hope. This is an excellent book. I loved reading it, and she, the way she weaves her sense of humor throughout is wonderful. Katie writes a weekly column for townhall.com, and she also runs katiekiefer.com. Katie graduated summa cum laude from the University of St. Thomas. As a college student, she founded, edited, and published a nationally recognized student newspaper. During her senior year, Kiefer was the sole female student entrepreneur who the University of St. Thomas recognized with a Practicing Entrepreneur Award. Katie Kiefer has over five years of experience in commercial real estate. She chaired a National Young Professionals Forum of Rising Stars in Commercial Real Estate, and she received state and national honors for her leadership in business. She has been named one of Minnesota's 25 finest young professionals. Katie has been featured on, and listen to this list, CNBC, MSNBC, the Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Network, the Blaze TV, HLN, Extra, the Sun News Network, NRA TV, Newsmax TV, and HBO's Real Time with Bill Mayer. Let's welcome this very accomplished young woman, Katie Kiefer. Katie Kiefer, thank you so much for having me here today, and I'm very excited to meet all of you. One morning, I was hard at work when I received some disturbing news. A colleague who had been in a rush to leave for vacation had decided to break with protocol and pre-pitch my biggest prospects on a project to which I had invested about an entire year's time. My colleague was so unfamiliar with the project that their pitch ended up turning our investors away. 
After a few months, I was able to draw most of those prospects back to the negotiation table, but at first, as you can imagine, I felt devastated by this setback. It ended up being a great learning experience when one of my mentors offered me this advice. Katie, in an ideal world, everyone would do their job right the first time because that's the right thing to do. But this is the real world, and no one cares about this particular project as much as you. Now, like me, I'm sure all of you have your own goals for your personal and professional and also political activism lives. And so no one will ever care about those particular goals as much as you do. But if you're able to recognize that setbacks will occur and then you keep pushing forward, you will ultimately reach that finish line. Now, according to a recent Deloitte study, 70% of millennials um, aspire to become entrepreneurs one day and work for themselves. So looking ahead to 2016, whether you yourself are a millennial, and it looks like we have many millennials here in our audience today, or you're a Gen Xer or a baby boomer looking to connect with the millennial voters as we head into 2016, I would recommend that you adopt an entrepreneurial leadership style. Today, I will share with you three stories to help illustrate the power of entrepreneurial leadership. And if you are able to adopt this style, you will become a role model or a stronger role model because most of you already are in your workplaces, in your communities, and on your college campuses. For our first story, we will travel to Italy where we will learn about an entrepreneur named Giorgetto Giugiaro. As a young boy, he was very artistic and he dreamed of becoming a painter. However, when Giugiaro was just 17 years old, he entered some of his drawings in a local Italian exhibition. And an executive from Fiat happened to see those drawings, and he offered Giugiaro a job at Fiat's new design center. From that day forward, Giugiaro persistently pursued his artistic talents and passion for art, and he went on to start his own design company, which the majority stake of which was recently acquired by the Volkswagen Audi Group. He's known for designing fast cars for luxury automakers, cars so impressive that many of them have been featured in action movies. But Giugiaro has done so much more. Chances are many of you have seen or used some of the materials that he has designed because his eclectic design portfolio includes golf clubs, downhill skis, sewing machines, the interiors of aircraft, uh, aircrafts, and also motorboats. In addition, he has designed customized pasta shapes to hold the perfect amount of sauce for Barilla Pasta, and he has designed computer prototypes for Apple. Today, Giugiaro is 77 years old, and he's still going strong. He's currently working with Audi and working on a car prototype that will allow passengers to exercise while they're on the ride. 
So how you might think, or at least I had this question, how does a man like this maintain his stamina and energy and success for so many years? First, individual freedom has played a key role in his success. To this day, on weekends, Jujaro heads out to Garesio, Italy, and he goes motorbiking through streams and on um, rugged trails, even um, over fields. And last month, he was actually interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, and he said that this hobby does require, quote, some risk, but is, quote, freeing and helps me develop new ideas for my work. Second, functional policies have also played a key role in Jujaro's success and his very prolific career. He has been quoted as saying, if it has no function, then it is not design. Case in point, he always uses square lines rather than rounded lines when he is designing cars. And this is because the aerodynamics, the interior comfort, the mechanics, and also the functionality of his cars always take precedence over the aesthetics. So you and I can glean a valuable lesson, or two valuable lessons from Jujaro, which is that functional policies and a culture that embraces free market principles is very conducive to entrepreneurial success. This is a story that you could share with a, a young person on your campus who's not necessarily conservative, but can identify with this story and the, the lessons to be gleaned. For example, one of the major reasons why Obamacare is an inferior public policy for our reforming our healthcare system is because it hampers both personal autonomy and also functionality. For my next story, I'd like to leave Italy and travel to Orlando, Florida. In 1963, the same year that John F. Kennedy was assassinated, very tragically, a young man named Milton Shedd was on a mission to, quote, return to the sea some measure of the benefits derived from it. A stockbroker by trade, Shedd was also a very accomplished fisherman and conservationist. One day, he met a fish scientist by the name of Dr. Carl Hubbs, and they got together and they realized we both have this passion for the sea, and so they formed what is called Hubbs Sea World Institute, where scientists apply sophisticated technologies to conserve marine animals while also benefiting humans. Shedd went on to build a for-profit theme park, which is called SeaWorld. To this day, a portion of every ticket that is sold at SeaWorld goes towards rescuing and conserving wild animals. And this is work that would be done in a far less efficient and effective manner by the federal government if it weren't picked up by this for-profit group. Many of you may have actually vacationed to SeaWorld without realizing the full extent to which its for-profit nature enables its philanthropy. To date, the Hubs Institute has offered, authored about 300 scientific studies that have enabled us to learn far more about wildlife and how we can care for the wildlife out there. And SeaWorld has rescued over 25,000 wild animals.
Earlier this month, I had the opportunity to personally go to Orlando and visit SeaWorld myself. I observed how the theme park's animals are trained and rehabilitated and rescued. I also traveled out to Melbourne Beach, which is where the Hubs Institute is, and met personally with those scientists who saved the stranded dolphins and whales who regularly come in to the Florida beaches. SeaWorld today has grown to become a publicly traded company, but despite their growth, they have retained the pioneer, pioneering culture of their founders, like Shed and Hobbs. Many of you have probably heard of prosthetic limbs for humans and wetsuits for human surfers, but SeaWorld employees have developed prosthetic beaks for injured birds and animal wetsuits for man, manatees. And entrepreneurial SeaWorld employees have also developed nutritional formulas and very um, unique nursing prototype uh, that allow them to hand feed orphaned animals of all different sorts when they find them stranded on the beaches. Besides using its for-profit nature to help animals and the community, SeaWorld also helps humans. Today, SeaWorld creates 25,000 jobs, and 54% of its employee base is female. 85% of employees say that they are very happy to work at SeaWorld, which is actually 10% above the industry average. And overall, the lesson that we can glean from this small group, a charity and a for-profit that was started back in the 19, early 1960s, is that profit is a good thing. Many times today you hear that profit is bad. Profit is good. And whether you care about saving endangered species off the coast of Fiji, of, there's very many um, endangered species of coral that SeaWorld is rescuing right now, or rescuing dolphins off the Florida beaches, or even finding jobs for unemployed millennials, 15% of whom are unemployed. A for-profit company like SeaWorld is going to do it far better than a bureaucratic federal agency. For my third and final story, I'd like to leave Florida and head to Augusta, Georgia. Earlier this month, do we have any golf fans in the audience? We got, we got one. Um, earlier this month, a very handsome 21-year-old named uh, Jordan Spieth won the Masters Golf Tournament. As he putted his ball into the 18th hole to come 18 under par to win his very first green jacket, his reaction was so modest that you almost thought that nothing had happened. Spieth worked his way up to the top through raw talent, um, hard work, and solid ethics. The first time he practiced with Tiger Woods, he shot a hole in one. But unlike Tiger, who is famous for his exaggerated fist pump and his club swoosh when he won the Masters, uh, Spieth is much more placid and calm about his success. He neither underestimates nor overestimates himself. And colleagues like Phil Mickelson are prone to praise him for not only his character, but his play on the course. In short, he possesses what you could call true hum humility or confident humility. 
Now the game of golf, as you know, is an individual sport. Before I introduce the next speaker, Michelle Easton asked me to share just a few words about how I became involved with CBL. Well, let me begin by saying that I am thrilled to have the first Midwest Women's Summit here in my home state of Minnesota. This is just so exciting. Thank you. Several years ago, my husband and I were, became acquainted with Young America's Foundation and the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute. We met Ron and Michelle, and we toured the Reagan Ranch. That was just a, a real privilege. And after seeing a conference in action at the ranch and seeing how these students were encouraged and how they were um, upheld and trained in the conservative values that we hold dear, we became convinced that this was an institution and organization that we really wanted to support. The Claire, Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute brings the light of truth and hope to the darkness that is so prevalent on many college campuses today. And my hope is that all of you will help spread the word about this great organization, lend your support, and encourage more young women to be involved. Well, now I have the privilege of introducing our next speaker, Katie Kiefer. She is an entrepreneur, she's an author, a political commentator, and the, her new book is entitled, Let Me Be Clear, Barack Obama's War on Millennials and One Woman's Case for Hope. This is an excellent book. I loved reading it, and she, the way she weaves her sense of humor throughout is wonderful. Katie writes a weekly column for townhall.com, and she also runs katiekiefer.com. Katie graduated summa cum laude from the University of St. Thomas. As a college student, she founded, edited, and published a nationally recognized student newspaper. During her senior year, Kiefer was the sole female student entrepreneur who the University of St. Thomas recognized with a Practicing Entrepreneur Award. Katie Kiefer has over five years of experience in commercial real estate. She chaired a National Young Professionals Forum of Rising Stars in Commercial Real Estate, and she received state and national honors for her leadership in business. She has been named one of Minnesota's 25 finest young professionals. Katie has been featured on, and listen to this list, CNBC, MSNBC, the Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Network, the Blaze TV, HLN, Extra, The Sun News Network, NRA TV, Newsmax TV, and HBO's Real Time with Bill Mayer. Let's welcome this very accomplished young woman, Katie Kiefer. Hi, I'm Katie Kiefer. Thank you so much for having me here today, and I'm very excited to meet all of you. One morning, I was hard at work when I received some disturbing news. A colleague who had been in a rush to leave for vacation had decided to break with protocol and pre-pitch my biggest prospects on a project to which I had invested about an entire year's time. 
my colleague was so unfamiliar with the project that their pitch ended up turning our investors away. After a few months, I was able to draw most of those prospects back to the negotiation table, but at first, as you can imagine, I felt devastated by this setback. It ended up being a great learning experience when one of my mentors offered me this advice. Katie, in an ideal world, everyone would do their job right the first time because that's the right thing to do. But this is the real world, and no one cares about this particular project as much as you. Now, like me, I'm sure all of you have your own goals for your personal and professional and also political activism lives. And so no one will ever care about those particular goals as much as you do. But if you're able to recognize that setbacks will occur and then you keep pushing forward, you will ultimately reach that finish line. Now, according to a recent Deloitte study, 70% of millennials um, aspire to become entrepreneurs one day and work for themselves. So looking ahead to 2016, whether you yourself are a millennial, and it looks like we have many millennials here in our audience today, or you're a Gen Xer or a baby boomer looking to connect with the millennial voters as we head into 2016, I would recommend that you adopt an entrepreneurial leadership style. Today, I will share with you three stories to help illustrate the power of entrepreneurial leadership. And if you are able to adopt this style, you will become a role model or a stronger role model because most of you already are in your workplaces, in your communities, and on your college campuses. For our first story, we will travel to Italy, where we will learn about an entrepreneur named Giorgetto Giugiaro. As a young boy, he was very artistic, and he dreamed of becoming a painter. However, when Giugiaro was just 17 years old, he entered some of his drawings in a local Italian exhibition. And an executive from Fiat happened to see those drawings, and he offered Giugiaro a job at Fiat's new design center. From that day forward, Giugiaro persistently pursued his artistic talents and passion for art, and he went on to start his own design company, which the majority stake of which was recently acquired by the Volkswagen Audi Group. He's known for designing fast cars for luxury automakers, cars so impressive that many of them have been featured in action movies. But Giugiaro has done so much more. Chances are many of you have seen or used some of the materials that he has designed because his eclectic design portfolio includes golf clubs, downhill skis, sewing machines, the interiors of aircraft, uh, aircrafts, and also motorboats. In addition, he has designed customized pasta shapes to hold the perfect amount of sauce for Barilla Pasta, and he has designed computer prototypes for Apple. Today, Giugiaro is 77 years old, and he's still going strong. 
He's currently working with Audi and working on a car prototype that will allow passengers to exercise while they're on the ride. So how you might think, or at least I had this question, how does a man like this maintain his stamina and energy and success for so many years? First, individual freedom has played a key role in his success. To this day, on weekends, Giugiaro heads out to Garesio, Italy, and he goes motorbiking through streams and on um, rugged trails, even um, over fields. And last month, he was actually interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, and he said that this hobby does require, quote, some risk, but is, quote, freeing and helps me develop new ideas for my work. Second, functional policies have also played a key role in Jujaro's success and his very prolific career. He has been quoted as saying, if it has no function, then it is not design. Case in point, he always uses square lines rather than rounded lines when he is designing cars. And this is because the aerodynamics, the interior comfort, the mechanics, and also the functionality of his cars always take precedence over the aesthetics. So you and I can glean a valuable lesson, or two valuable lessons from Jujaro, which is that functional policies and a culture that embraces free market principles is very conducive to entrepreneurial success. This is a story that you could share with a, a young person on your campus who's not necessarily conservative, but can identify with this story and the, the lessons to be gleaned. For example, one of the major reasons why Obamacare is an inferior public policy for our reforming our healthcare system is because it hampers both personal autonomy and also functionality. For my next story, I'd like to leave Italy and travel to Orlando, Florida. In 1963, the same year that John F. Kennedy was assassinated, very tragically, a young man named Milton Shedd was on a mission to, quote, return to the sea some measure of the benefits derived from it. A stockbroker by trade, Shedd was also a very accomplished fisherman and conservationist. One day, he met a fish scientist by the name of Dr. Carl Hubbs, and they got together and they realized we both have this passion for the sea, and so they formed what is called Hubbs Sea World Institute, where scientists apply sophisticated technologies to conserve marine animals while also benefiting humans. Shedd went on to build a for-profit theme park, which is called SeaWorld. To this day, a portion of every ticket that is sold at SeaWorld goes towards rescuing and conserving wild animals. And this is work that would be done in a far less efficient and effective manner by the federal government if it weren't picked up by this for-profit group. Many of you may have actually vacationed to SeaWorld without realizing the full extent to which its for-profit nature enables its philanthropy. To date, the Hubs Institute has authored about 300 scientific studies that have 
enabled us to learn far more about wildlife and how we can get care for the wildlife out there. And SeaWorld has rescued over 25,000 wild animals. Earlier this month, I had the opportunity to personally go to Orlando and visit SeaWorld myself. I observed how the theme park's animals are trained and rehabilitated and rescued. I also traveled out to Melbourne Beach, which is where the Hubs Institute is, and met personally with those scientists who saved the stranded dolphins and whales who regularly come in to the Florida beaches. SeaWorld today has grown to become a publicly traded company, but despite their growth, they have retained the pioneer, pioneering culture of their founders, like Shed and Hobbs. Many of you have probably heard of prosthetic limbs for humans and wetsuits for human surfers, but SeaWorld employees have developed prosthetic beaks for injured birds and animal wetsuits for man, manatees. And entrepreneurial SeaWorld employees have also developed nutritional formulas and very um, unique nursing prototype uh, that allow them to hand feed orphaned animals of all different sorts when they find them stranded on the beaches. Besides using its for-profit nature to help animals and the community, SeaWorld also helps humans. Today, SeaWorld creates 25,000 jobs, and 54% of its employee base is female. 85% of employees say that they are very happy to work at SeaWorld, which is actually 10% above the industry average. And overall, the lesson that we can glean from this small 